Hi, and welcome to Things of Interest. I'm Sophia France. And I'm Serena Chen. This week we're going to be talking about our feelings. I know that every week we definitely talk about our feelings a lot. Um, This is more of a structured look at different types of theories. Uh, Serena's been doing a bunch of reading. I talk to my psych a lot. And just generally, like, sometimes you remember that global warming's going to kill us all. And you get really sad. And how do we deal with that? And what do we do? Oh my gosh, I just remembered global warming's going to kill us all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a rough one. I, I'm i doing a experimental therapy um, for depression called um, transcranial something simulation. Basically, it's like the theory behind ECT, but like not ECT. So ECT for our listeners being electroconvulsive therapy where you get like sedated and then given shocks. Um, it is not fun from all accounts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it still happens for treatment-resistant depression and actually has, like, a lot of success in treating treatment-resistant depression, which is why we still do it, even though it sounds like it only happened in the 50s. Anyway, in the precursor, all that to say, mm-hmm. in the precursor to starting the therapy, we had to do a clinical baseline assessment, and one of the questions I got asked was whether I'm – how I feel about the future, like, whether I'm, like, really worried and anxious and feel depressed about the future, and I just kind of looked at the – clinician i was like well look yeah but like global warming Mm. and she laughed and she was like i'm gonna put yes but understandable (laughs) yeah so yeah sometimes i think too hard about like the islands of trash we have in the ocean off the maldives and then i get really sad and how do we deal with that Mm. and serena's been doing a bit of reading on that so take it away serena (laughs) Okay, so, I don't know, the, the reading that I've mostly been doing, um, uh, I guess, like, the hip, the hip shit, acceptance and commitment theory, or ACT, and is it cognitive behavioral theory, or CBT? Yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, yeah. and it's, like, I've seen one or two counselors um, over my lifetime. I don't really go see people that often, um, because I'm bad at that and I need to get better at that <laughs> but the the times that I have gone to see someone like that seems to be the the prevailing kind of approach to counseling so I don't know very much about ACT although I've experienced like I've had chats with people about CBT quite a lot can you yeah. talk about that one more so from what I understand um accept acceptance and commitment therapy the the thesis is as humans with um, language, with a verbal language, where we use words and sounds to be stand-ins, to be metaphors for real-life things. This gives us both a great um, superpower in that we can simulate a lot of situations in our heads. Um, We can, you know, imagine touching fire, imagine the fire is hot and think, okay, I shouldn't touch the fire. Um, so that's great. But the the downside to that is that things that are not real, like words and thoughts and simulations, can feel just as real as experiencing something real. And so I could think about 
standing up on stage and giving a talk and I could feel nervous about it even though at that current moment I am not standing up on stage and giving a talk and that's kind of like the downside to this superpower that we have which is this great simulation machine in our head. What the theory talks about is that because we have these simulations we in simulation machines in our head, we can have good thoughts and we can have bad thoughts. And the bad thoughts can feel just as bad as experiencing something bad. And so what we tend to do when we experience something bad in real life, in meat space, is that we tend to fix the problem. So like if I have a leaky faucet and it's it's wasting water and I don't like it, I can I can diagnose the problem, I can see what's causing it and I can fix it. And that serves us very well in meat space. And like if if there is a, a street that is slippery than other streets, I can avoid that street and not slip over. So in the real life, if I want to make my experience better, I can just avoid bad things. And that is a perfectly rational and reasonable problem-solving tactic. But for the headspace problems, you can't do the same thing. And for the headspace problems, we tend to approach those problems in the same way that we approach meatspace problems. So I have a bad thought in my head and it's causing me pain. So to not feel the pain, then I just need to stop thinking the bad thought, which sounds reasonable until you realize that because this is in your head space and not in the meat space you can't approach it with the same approach as meat space problems it's like the don't think of a pink elephant thing as soon as i say don't think of a pink elephant everyone thinks of the pink elephant you you can't avoid thoughts in your head because the very act of trying to avoid that thought brings that thought up even more so, like, this is all sounding very um, reasonable and rational. And it's like, okay, I understand. If I, if I have a bad thought that causes me pain, I'll try and avoid it. And if I try and avoid it, then it'll just cause me more pain because I'll think about it even more. The thing that I didn't realize was just, just how much I was avoiding bad thoughts and how much of an ingrained habit it has become. Because throughout all of my life my and I think I've talked about this before on the podcast is that my approach for essentially like feeling bad feeling sad any negative emotion is just to sit there do nothing until it goes away is to literally like banish the thought from my head just to be like okay I feel this and it sucks let's move on and that's been basically my strategy for my whole life. And I mean, it's worked, I say, because I have no other reference <laughs> to like what my mental state could be. But like, for me, this is normal. And for me, it's worked. And for me, like, this is fine, she says, as the dog in the burning room. Something that I've realized when I've been reading through these theories is that I do it without even thinking. I avoid these thoughts without without even knowing that I'm avoiding these thoughts. And I've gotten really good at it. <laughs> really good at banishing thoughts from my head um, and only to have it, you know, 
come up again and again. So the the preferred approach in this theory is uh, is very Buddhist. It's like instead of trying to avoid the thought and avoid the pain that comes with the bad thoughts, you dial your willingness up. You try and become as willing as you can to to think the bad thoughts and to feel the discomfort that it gives you and to almost try and observe it from a, a place of curiosity from like a like a third person kind of point of view where you think oh that's curious that's interesting that I'm having this thought and then having these feelings and there's a there's a big like I know in CBT they focus a lot around evidence around being rational around like I'm having this bad thought and it's causing me pain where is the evidence to back up this bad thought like and the the idea of CBT is that you then realize that there is not enough evidence to back up the bad thought there's actually a lot of distortions in your thinking and from there you can kind of reason away the bad thought if if that's how I understand CBT is that like here are the distortions in my thinking. Here is the lack of evidence to back that statement up. Therefore, this bad thought is not true, and therefore it can't hurt me. So in acceptance and commitment theory, it's a bit different in that there's not a lot of emphasis around the uh, the rationalization. Like the the idea is that you know these thoughts that you have in your simulation machine are real to you. It's kind of like you're in the matrix, right? Like. It doesn't matter if it's really real or not. You're you're feeling the consequences of that thought, and so instead of trying to rationalize it away, to try and which is essentially like another kind of avoidance strategy, is to kind of just feel it, and instead of letting it grip onto you, to to feel it from a place of curiosity and to say, that's curious that that's what I'm feeling right now and to really like dig into like how is this making me react I feel bad but what like what does that mean like what flavor of bad do I feel and like what happens with this feeling compared to this thought compared to another thought compared to another feeling and to to really kind of sit with it and the idea is that like the more willing you are to feel the bad things and to have the bad thoughts and to be okay with that then the better you get at the better you get at feeling bad which sounds really like counterintuitive but it's kind of a nice approach because it's like with any skill in life you practice it and you get better at it right and so if we're avoiding the bad thoughts and if we're avoiding feeling bad all the time then we we're not very good or at least I know that I'm not very good at having the bad thoughts and feeling bad. And so if I'm not good at it, then it's just going to be a really, really super shitty time because I don't know how to deal with it. Um, The only way I know how to deal with it is just to like banish the thought and to try and ignore it and do something else. So maybe by being more open and approaching it from a place of observation, like detached observation, then I can get better at having the bad thoughts. I can get better at feeling them, and I can and I can like know that I can get through it. So that's what I understand that theory to mean. 
I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Because I feel like you'll have much better thoughts. <laughs> about this. No, um, I was thinking that the sort of acceptance and commitment therapy uh, really sounds like mindfulness kind of approach. Yeah. So I've had like, I've got a great psych right now. Woo. And I really appreciate her. And one of the, one of our first sessions, like I gave her sort of a history and I was like, you know, well, look, I've put all this trauma in a box and I try not to think about it. And she's like, we don't mm. have to talk about your trauma. We're going to talk about ways of dealing with your trauma when it comes back up or you get triggered, but we're not going to talk like it can stay in that box. Like mm. <laughs> I think people can often when they're like, Oh, I have to like experience my bad feelings and sort of like be okay and willing to feel that way. People can often like go, too far down that road right right um, right yeah and take it to sort of like a perverse extreme where it's like you are constantly thinking and feeling the bad things because you feel like you should and that's like to to like quote unquote fix the problem yeah yeah and i mean like that's that's kind of been the approach of a few of the councils i really haven't jammed with has that been like oh we mm. should talk about all your trauma in great detail and it's like no uh, no thank you <laughs> it's gonna stay in the box and i'm just not gonna come back <laughs> mm. um the reason that there's lots of these therapies out there is that some is suitable for some people at some points in their lives mm. right like the diversity of human existence is incredible and i mean stuff like cbt really good for some people fantastic for them to just kind of like rationalize their issues and like figure out their anxiety and it's like it's absolutely like i use a sort of protracted not protracted shortened version of cbt when i um have trauma triggers and I like getting flashbacks it's kind of like you sit down and you're like why am i feeling this way yeah here is a logic that means I don't need to feel this way. Like, I'm mm. not in danger. I'm in this place. This is what's happening. But most of the time, like, it doesn't it doesn't help me right, at yeah. all. And I think that's – I get very wary when people just, like, read about these things on the internet, you know? Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like, as with every other medical thing, if you read about it on the internet, you probably haven't totally understood what's going on. <laughs> yeah um and so i'm a big fan of and we've talked about this before like big fan of everyone seeing therapists right like Mm. particularly when you consider how the world is like i think it's a oh boy very yeah it's a very responsible choice to see and talk to therapists and to find one that works for you i think often when we talk about like therapy and having a counselor like you absolutely have to find someone who like jams with you and that might be someone who like understands your experiences so like i was at a um focus group last week talking about queer access to mental health services uh and one of Mm -hmm. the questions we were sort of talking about was like if you could go to someone that you knew was queer like would that make it easier to talk about your problems and it was kind of like oh maybe Mm-hmm. because like I've definitely had straight cis counsellors before who have seen my relationship with my family over my queerness as like the root cause of all of my problems That's right not. right because they see that as an anomaly and then they focus in on it because it's the common experience 
Right, okay. Like, I don't doubt that for a lot of people our age when we were sort of 20, 21 coming out, that coming out to our family was a very fraught and difficult experience. Mm -hmm. No question about that. I definitely had, like, a tense relationship with my family during those years. Mm. Um, But it wasn't the root cause of, like, my problems. Like, I just... I just had mm. depression, you know. Mm. <laughs> that happens whether I have a good relationship with my family or not. I have a much better relationship with my parents now. Still got depression, you know. Mm-hmm. All that to say, like, I had a number of counsellors <clears throat> that I just didn't really get along with for whatever reason. And it might be that you want to go and see a queer counsellor about your like queer experience because that's what's causing you anxiety at that point or you just feel like it'll be easier to talk to someone who inherently understands more mm. i have this conversation with with people at work a bit um because i'm the only out non-binary person at work and it means like when i experience shitty things or like i have to explain to someone who like i've told i'm non-binary mm. and they've sent me an email being to like me and another uh, person at work being like hey ladies and I have to like very politely respond and be like hey so this was a nice email but also what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> like you may recall that I've mentioned I'm non-binary to you several times <laughs> like that sucks and yeah. the response I often get from like people who do exist in the gender binary is like oh but they were just being nice and that creates right. like a barrier of understanding, like a hurdle you have to get over in order to get like the support, the emotional connection, the whatever you need. And so like absolutely go out there and try counselors until you find someone that has the least friction for you to like start understanding why you feel bad all the time and to help you deal with that. Not necessarily mm. to make it better, but to like understand and experience it. Sometimes it is normal to feel bad. I was talking to my therapist about this on Tuesday because I had uh, a friend died quite recently and I was feeling really bad about that. And it is good and normal to feel bad about that. Yeah. And that's something where I think like acceptance and commitment therapy is really useful because a lot of the time people try and like avoid their grief Mm. and try not to feel it and try to like not think about what's happened too much. But what you do need to do is just sit down and be like, someone has fucking died. I'm sad about it. And that is fair enough. Mm. Yeah. Can I share with you, like, a common problem that I've had in counselling sessions? Yeah. And so what I've noticed is that when I go to counselling sessions, I kind of... And I don't know if this is some kind of weird, like, avoidance thing that I'm doing, or I don't know. But I'm I'm trying to, like, be a good, I don't know, like, receiver of counselling mm. <laughs> during the, the counselling session. And I'm trying to reassure the counsellor that I'm all good. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I spend... And I think this is a I think this is a big reason why I haven't gone to counseling as much as I probably should have is that it's just so exhausting, so exhausting for me 
And I realized that it's really tiring because I spend like so much emotional energy just making sure that they feel like it was a good session, that they feel like they've helped someone, that they feel like like they've done something good and helpful. Yeah. Which is like, why? Why am I doing this? You know what you should do? What? Let's bring that up to your counsellor. Right. Like prep beforehand like write down right you know basically what you said right now like clip it out using overcast and just say like hey i've realized in my sessions that i've been doing this how Mm. do we make that better so that these sessions are more useful for both of us right sure yeah (laughs) like yeah (laughs) yeah like no it's it sucks to do that like it's not it's not an easy thing to do, but it's the most productive thing to do. Yeah. I just, I hate, I hate, like, I hate making people feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. But you're currently, you're stopping them from doing their job most effectively. Yeah. Ah, so silly. Yeah. Silly brain. Um, the, also the other day I read a good Tumblr post about feeling sad about climate change mm-hmm. um because it was it was an it was an ask box thing mm. and someone asked her like oh hey look i'm just feeling really really sad about climate change i feel like i can't do anything i feel like a lot of people are gonna suffer a lot and i just don't know what to do help and her reply was really helpful so she was like first of all climate anxiety is common but perfectly actionable because it's anxiety Mm. and anxiety is a thing that you can treat that we have like all these different kind of approaches to to deal with so first of all treat your climate anxiety as anxiety and you could say like oh but you know my anxiety is about things that aren't real and climate change is very real Again, it's the it's the word machine, the simulation machine in your head makes it real for you. And so in your head, there's there's no difference. And so treat it as real anxiety and, you know, take all the different try on all these different tools out of our collective toolbox of dealing with anxiety and throw it at that. And then after addressing your anxiety as anxiety, the best cure for climate change is climate action. So then she lists like all the different kind of like small but real things that you can do to try and try and do something about it. And I really liked her kind of list of suggestions because she she really um, advises against falling into the trap of obsessing over individual actions. A lot of anxiety can come from whether you recycled that one thing or whether you like but she's like try not to obsess over that and try and focus on the bigger things like organizing your community organizing your friends collecting signatures telephoning or writing to your local representative just really doing the the bigger things and in particular like stop focusing or like try and focus less on what everyone else is doing. And it reminds me a lot of, um, I don't know who said this, but it's like 
anger is like holding hot coals in your hand with the intention of throwing it at someone else. It's you that gets burned. Which is just, I just love that. So trying to focus like less about getting angry about what everyone else is doing because it's, it's not going to help. Um, and really focusing on on just like doing your small part and lending your small part to bigger movements, to, to collective pressure. So I found that really good. And also politics. Like, sorry, you can't get away from politics. Yeah. I've been thinking recently about the amount of plastic that I've been interacting with and it's just, it's mm. very stressful. It is very stressful. <laughs> it's extremely stressful. Gosh, so we, um, in New Zealand, we banned single-use plastics, right? Mm. We used to use, like, plastic bags from the supermarket just to, as, like, trash bags. Mm. And now we don't have a supply of trash bags. So I've been um, using, like, bread bags, old bread bags. I've been using, like, you know, whenever you buy something in a plastic bag from the supermarket, you use that. Yeah. And it's been fine. And the thing, the thought that will not leave my head is, like, why couldn't, we have been doing this always. There's enough plastic to use as trash bags. More than enough plastic to use as trash bags. Mm. Like, what the fuck are we doing? What? Ah! <laughs> and then it just devolves into internal screaming. Yeah. It's climate anxiety is a thing. <laughs> it is so real. It is so real. And it's very... It's important to kind of like pull apart, I think, where all of your feelings are coming from. Mm. So like a lot of climate anxiety will come from like the kind of like, how will this affect me concern? But an element of it often comes from like a kind of like developed world first class kind of guilt. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think, because like I live in an apartment that I've bought, right? You know, I own this little space. I try and get, like, as much... Um, I, I get all my power from, like, renewable sources and, like, I do whatever I can. I still feel guilty sometimes because I've bought a house. Like, I use plastic. And I think a lot of that comes from a kind of, like, guilt that I'm doing relatively well. Because, like, mm -hmm. when you consider how few millennials can afford to buy their own homes, like, I have friends who are starting families who are still renting. Mm. And it's kind of like, oh, my God, like, I could I could not imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> that would be horrifying for me. I mean, also, pregnancy is a, is a little bit horrifying to me. But That's really scary. Not having a stable home when you're trying to start a family is kind of like, oh, boy. That's a whole thing. And like, I can feel really guilty about that, right? But for me, definitely the best way to deal with guilt is to take action. Heck yeah. And often that's like, you know, talking to my friends or whenever I like mention that like I've bought this place, just kind of being like, yeah, look, my grandma died and I got an inheritance and that's why I could afford this. <laughs> just like don't feel bad because like you haven't saved enough for a deposit in a house someone died so i could do this <laughs> which is you know 
the way that everyone our age buys a house. Um, but also like talking to my friends about like savings and investments and diversifying assets and, you know, like I still have a very small, now I had to liquidate most of it to buy this place, but I have a very small stock portfolio because you should split, like, you know, you should be splitting your assets between money in a bank, the stock market and property. Because like usually in crises, one of those will be affected, but not all of them. And if all of them are affected, you have bigger problems is the theory behind that. And like, I grew up in a family, both of my mother's siblings are accountants. So as much as I tried to avoid it, I learned a lot. Like I'm very awkward. Well, I was very awkward for a very long time talking to my parents about money. Cause I just, I don't think I handle money particularly well. I really like buying fancy biscuits and like going out. And so I was just like very uncomfortable talking to the people who had the ability to teach me like better financial literacy about my finances. Um, and I'm a bit better now because like I had to have a protected conversation with my dad about like buying this place. And when I first invested my money in stocks, like I got advice from like family members. But I'm also really aware that a lot of people don't have money. two accountants that are your aunt and uncle, right? Well, money is the first one. But, like, they don't have access to this kind of knowledge that I, I really took for granted. That I was just like, oh, of course, if I have a question about this, I can ask my family. Of course, like, if I want to – because, like, when I made my stock portfolio, I went to my uncle and my dad. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get your both of your opinions about this and then I'm going to, like, figure out what I want. Yeah, I still have, like, zero knowledge about stocks. I don't know, maybe it's the whole, like, apocalyptic future hanging in the back of my head, but, like, my approach to money has and has always been just don't spend it um, because there was never any of it. <laughs> and now I'm just like, well, like, I am I just avoiding thinking about having to deal with the money because then... Because the only thing I'm thinking is like, oh, what's the fucking point? And I know that's not <laughs> yeah. helpful. I know that's not well, helpful. The other thing as well is like buying stocks in a company is a way of showing them that you have faith in them. Yeah, but I can't get myself to care about any company well, enough. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> ones that I cared very deeply about, so Convita, which is the largest apiary in the Southern Hemisphere, because bees. I'm going to... I'm yeah, gonna buy stocks in Convita because bees. And they did bees. me they did me so good. Convita did me so well. The uh the stock prices mm -hmm. like doubled in value after I bought them. And I was like, oh bless you, and I sold half my shares and I'm like, I've made my money back on Convita, I'm very pleased. Um and I could mm -hmm. still like have money on them and essentially go like I'm betting on you because I think that you're valuable. Um, the same with mm. if I could invest in living cell technologies on the New Zealand stock market, I would because they're trying to develop like treatments for Parkinson's and Huntington's by using like choroplexus cells from infant pigs, which is just like fucking wild. I've been following these guys since 2009 <laughs> and I'm in love with their science. Um, however, they're only listed on the Australian stock market and the US stock market. So whatever. They were founded in Invercargill, mm -hmm. but I guess you don't have to be listed on the New Zealand stock exchange. Like, it's, 
I invested a bunch of my money in like safe bets, right? So places like Auckland Airport or Aged Care or Port of Tauranga. So like that was something that was like emotional as well as sensible because like it's where I'm from. It's the largest port around. Like it does good. It creates a lot of jobs. My hometown, like it's, yeah, I got a lot of feelings Mm. about the Port of Tauranga. And I mean, an element of that as well, right, is you start to have a say in where the company goes. Uh, like the opinion of shareholders matters to companies and so like if you're a shareholder somewhere like the port of Tauranga and they ask you to like vote on something like maybe a new board member maybe this other thing like you get the opportunity to vote for someone or vote for a choice that decreases pollution that makes the world a better place that whatever and I think that's really good as well um, mm-hmm. So there's sort of two elements. There's the control and, like, the voice that you start to have in companies that often you have to interact with on a daily basis, right? So if you're talking about, like, companies that provide infrastructure or banks that you're a member of, holding shares in those banks means when previously you were a customer and, like, to a large extent controlled by the bank because they make it so difficult to change banks, now you have the opportunity to sort of have a greater and more explicit say in what's happening rather than just voting with your wallet, right? Yeah. I guess my my whole kind of thought about that is very cynical because I do, I do have shares in NAB because I work for BNZ. And, like, technically I have, you know, I have shares in BNZ and I'm an employee and I'm a shareholder and I'm a customer and... Not once did I feel like I had a say in who they were sponsoring, in what they were doing, because there's a lot yeah. of shareholders. Yeah, and I don't know. I think yeah. Uh, you still you still vote months, in right? elections, right? Yeah, like it's it's the same Absolutely. concept. Like our votes in elections are a drop in the ocean, but they make a difference. And your vote as a shareholder. Oh yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. But they they've never asked for votes. Oh. On that's anything. Bullshit. I- you should attend their AGM and tell them it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> should be like shareholders should have more of a say. Hi, I'm at your AGM. You have to take this down in minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's like we need a dual approach. Thing where you need people fighting to dismantle the systems and you also need people inside those very systems changing them for the better on yeah. the inside and you kind of need that to happen concurrently even though those two strategies would disagree with each yeah. other oh absolutely yeah. um it's i have conversations with this quite a bit because like i have work friends And then I have, like, my friends who exist outside of work who are generally all, like, left-wing hippies, like, borderline Mm. communists. And I'm very blunt about the Mm. fact that, like, some companies are too large and should be be broken up. Yeah. And any company that fits that value of largeness should be broken up. And potentially the company I work for fits that value of largeness, but... While they exist, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to encourage them to, like, sponsor organizations that I care about and do work for things that make the world a better place and support greater environmental sustainability and make a big fuss when they don't do, like, morally good things. Mm. 
And the counter to that would be the whole way that it works is that you provide them with more value than you get back in dollars, and that's how yeah, they make but a also profit out they... of your labor. No, 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 Sorry, it's I'm being okay, very it's Marxist okay. here. But also, like, <laughs> they sponsored the first LGBT STEM symposium in Australia, yeah. and they did that because I told them to. Like, not explicitly. Like, there was definitely some, like, oh, this fits in with our values and our goals and whatever, but, like, I made that connection and yeah, I made yeah. sure it happened, and that provides huge value beyond no heck yeah and that's the kind of stuff like i don't know how long i will be at my current workplace but Mm. i do know that like if i can spend my time there going like hey these are like charities you should be interacting with these are groups you should be sponsoring here's a better way to treat your employees um Mm. or like encourage other people at work like to become members of the union we're eligible for that is a good fight yeah Everyone, join your union. Um, Something that I've been really struggling with the past few months is the question of, like, do I work for Google? It's it's a struggle, because on one hand, Google is huge. Their reach is unthinkably large. And they make infrastructure, they make foundational infrastructure, and they, they touch foundational shit on the internet that every single person interacts with like that's huge influence that's huge reach and if if i could have even a slightest sliver of influence in that gigantic machine then i have that sliver of power to push these these foundational infrastructures towards something that would serve the people that it's made for better. I mean, that's a huge reason of why I've stayed at BNZ for so long, even though it's a bank and all banks are evil, apparently. I don't know. That's a whole other conversation, whether banks are evil or whether like large companies in general are inherently evil. But anyway, being able to work at a large company that serves a lot, a lot of people means that like I can open up internet banking i can open up the website that has a million users a day and i can point to a thing that i made better and i can say i made that slightly better for everyone and that's really awesome and if there are a lot of a lot of problems in general we're just a planet full of problems <laughs> Um, <laughs> and and on the internet there are a lot of problems there are a lot of like community moderation problems there's a lot of like what do we how do we balance um, the right to free speech and decent moderation of that speech how do we design everything to be secure by default how do we protect people's privacy because at the moment like every company is gobbling up every bit of data and how do we protect people and how do we ensure trust between people in the digital space? And there are a lot of like really interesting foundational problems. And the places that you can go to to solve those problems are essentially the big five companies. So that's the Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, whatever the other one is. And that is really difficult to grapple with because on one hand like you'd have access to solve these problems but on the other hand 
there is some kind of inherent badness in just how big they are. And I think we can all agree, like, we can debate over the specifics, but I think we can all agree that monopolies in general don't mean well for the people consuming the monopoly services. Right, like, we, we are beholden to these big five companies. And because because of how business works on the internet, because of the economics of the internet, because how, of how everything depends on advertising dollars and everything is, uh, is run by... It's, it's the capitalism of surveillance. Like, surveillance is the new currency. And because of that, like, these companies aren't going to listen to anyone really they're going to listen to money they're going to listen to what makes them money and it's not to say that the people in these companies are doing bad things or evil things or things with bad intentions they may very well be trying very actively to fight against it they just can't it's not made to work that way and so by working for one of these companies I'm I'm implicitly supporting the wider system that holds up these companies. And so that's kind of like the the big the struggle that I'm dealing with now is like do I go and work for this big company? Do I lend my services to the machine essentially? <laughs> And I mean, there are like there's huge movements within a lot of tech companies to unionize and to organize the the workforce, and I think that's great. And like Google, more out of any of the other big fives, have had good movements and a lot of traction in in worker organized protests and walkouts that have result that have, that have resulted in actual action. So like that's really encouraging. But shit, man, like... Yeah, I think the other thing that should be part of your weighing this up is that Mm. over the last year, New Zealand has punched wildly above their weight in forcing these companies, like particularly Google and Facebook, Mm. to step the fuck up. Yeah. Right? So, like, um, over the last few days... Google's actually been taken to task by our justice minister yes, um, for breaking that suppression order. And he, like, he literally said in one thing, he was like, I'm just telling Google, like, don't be evil. Do the right thing. I'm like, oh, snap. Like, Here's their own words against them. What a burn. Love it. They don't have that as a motto anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And after the Christchurch um, shootings, like... People went up against Facebook and they were like, hey, why the fuck did you live stream this? Like, it was called, um, let me find the word for it. The Christchurch Call, the pact signed by governments and technology companies following the mosque attacks in Christchurch, which were live streamed on Facebook. And you can kind of weigh that up against you going to work there. It's like, you're not, you're not necessarily like becoming part of the machine. Right, because your identity isn't entirely your work, right? This isn't Jennifer government yet. We haven't reached that stage of capitalism. Like, your identity exists (laughs) beyond that, and it exists as, you know, a pro-union person. And importantly, it exists as a New Zealander. Like, this tiny country of 4 million people, Google wouldn't give a shit if a town of 4 million people in the US was like, hey, can you, like, not breach our suppression orders? Mm. 
But New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely. They've responded to us and been like, yeah, we fixed the thing. Whether they did. (laughs) Different question. (laughs) But the fact that they're willing to pretend that they did. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Where it's like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm just like physically bashing my head against the door because this is this has been a huge source of frustration because of the fact that these companies are so large and that we're beholden to them is that they can just ignore our laws like so like five years ago five ish three yeah. four uh, fuck i don't know what time is anymore so <laughs> a couple of years ago a journalist from the New Zealand Herald, Matt Nippet, did a huge investigation, very, very thorough investigation piece around uh, international companies, most of which, well, the largest of which were tech companies, but international companies that were dodging taxes in New Zealand and in many cases um, uh, made money. Mm. So they got like a like a tax back kind of like an incentive. Um, and these are billion dollar companies. Apple, they make literal like trillion dollars in profit google's the facebook's they pay no tax here and they make a lot of money here and they can do that like they're not supposed to do that they're not quote unquote allowed to do that but they can do that and they do do that because because who else are we going to go to we're not china we don't have like our own kind of version of everything and I assume we don't want to be China because that's really scary. And there are other problems there. <laughs> the other thing that pisses me off about this is that New Zealand's corporation tax rates are so fucking low. They like, are, yeah. We jokingly refer to New Zealand in some of the circles I'm in like as the tax haven in the South Pacific. So it's it like, is. It absolutely to not, is. To not fucking pay tax in like, this place with just tiny tiny amounts of tax is just like what the fuck are you doing like you're saving like two cents on every dollar get out of here it's not even cents on the dollar it's just like pay like micro cents cents on your cents like fuck off go do your tax avoidance in like fucking scandinavia i swear to god it's it's nothing it's nothing to these big companies it's nothing like when i tell people that it's like oh i'm flying over for an on-site interview and they're gonna, and yeah, they're flying me over, and yes, they're putting me up, they're giving me accommodation, and people are like, oh yeah, that's so cool. It's like no, these are like, it costs them nothing, and it's this, it's the same with wealth inequality, right? Is that like, as everyday people, we just can't fathom these numbers as humans in general. Like psychologically, we don't understand numbers above like 150, 300. Yeah. We just we just simply don't. So when people talk about the difference between $100,000 and $100 million, like, our brain literally shrugs at that. We could feign surprise and we could be like, wow, that sounds like a lot. I think that's a lot. But literally, we cannot process that. We cannot, with our meat brains, process the difference. And so when people complain that, like, you know, the, the richest zero point zero one percent owns however many percent like we just don't fathom that and i feel like this is why a lot of um middle class people get really upset about marginal tax and raising marginal tax on the richest few because they're like oh but like 
but like where will the money come from for these things what won't i get tax warrants like no you earn nothing compared to the richest people you earn literally nothing it's a combination of that but also the fact that like every middle class person imagines that they could be part of those richest few yeah i got bad news for you everyone (laughs) Like, the gates are locked, homies. Yeah. We're not getting up there. No. No, they're doing everything they can to, like, ah, yelling, yelling. This this podcast is brought to you by yelling. Yelling. It's kind of cathartic. Acceptance therapy says you should yell more. Yo. I've been doing a lot of yelling lately. So, in conclusion, accept your feelings, raise the money. Like, hey, maybe we could say there is a maximum wage. The The idea that the existence of billionaires is immoral is every single day feeling more and more correct. Every single homeless person I walk across on the street cements that feeling. Every time I see a small business, like put up for sale signs like I feel that feeling and I don't think like in this world where we live in where we have so many problems and so many people suffering and so few people hoarding everything also New Zealand's top tax bracket is 70,000 70,000 that's a fucking joke that's it's not a, very much money. <laughs> it's a fucking joke. Like, it's a lot of money to pretty much all of New Zealand, except for, like, the quarter of the people who earn so much more. And to those people, it's nothing. But to everyone else, it's like, that's a lot of money. Well, like, so that's, that's absolutely a lot of money to a lot of New Zealand. But it's more like, if we had another tax bracket... Yeah, the amount of money that we could get off that to help the yeah. people of New Zealand that don't earn that much is so much money. Like, it's not even thinking about like seventy thousand is like a big amount of money or like a huge income. It's just like if we had another tax bracket, that would literally change lives for so many New Zealanders. Like, yeah, there are a huge number of schools where children go to school hungry because their parents cannot afford to buy them food or like children go to school without shoes because parents have chosen food over shoes like yeah there is so much poverty in new zealand and the fact that like we're like oh if you earn like more than seventy thousand, like oh you just have to pay the same as someone who owns seventy thousand. like fuck that noise fuck that noise i was so disappointed to read that like even australia has one tax bracket higher yeah. Okay, it's it's also like a little bit now that I've been living in Australia for a while, it's a little bit outrageous to me that we tax all income in New Zealand. So in Australia you earn Don't like we have a marginal pot- tax. The tax rate is 10.5% up to 14,000. In Australia the oh, like I think you mean it's, like right at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, I think under 10,000 in Australia you just don't pay tax. Yeah. Cuz just like you're not making any money. Like yeah. your income is too low to pay tax. Yeah. 
do not pay tax. Yeah, that's it's super fucked up because what they do and how they excuse it, and this is a very, very like New Zealand legislative thing to do, is they say, oh, it's okay. They're basically paying no tax because they qualify for benefits. And so we give them benefits and that kind of outweighs it. This is the, oh gosh, this is the approach to so many New Zealand laws is that like, we know this law is fucked up, but it's not policed or like we had this other law and it's kind of okay. And it's like, no, that is not an excuse for our shitty law. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so I, w- I was incorrect. Yeah. It is up to $18,200. You do not pay tax in Australia. Yeah, and that makes sense. It's like that's about the kind of minimum required to live. Yeah. Yeah. Shit, man. It huh. I feel like I feel like we need a whole episode where we just rant about taxes, but I also feel like we should maybe bring on someone to the podcast who knows about taxes cuz I don't know. I'm not an expert enough to to say anything about it, but I am angry about it. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just, I'm furious whenever I think about the amount of poverty in New Zealand, because firstly, it absolutely doesn't have to exist. And secondly, like, so I've interacted with WINS, so like the Work and Income New Zealand, the place that do all the benefits, Mm. like, and they have been unjustifiably cruel. They are really horrible. I would say. And like, I have a friend who posted on Facebook yesterday that He's an advocate for a family with wins. And mm-hmm. on a Friday afternoon, they made them homeless. And they did it on a Friday afternoon so the advocate could not step in. It's so fucked up. Like, the only the only experience I've had with wins is applying for the unemployment benefit right after uni. Because I was like, I don't know what's going on in my life. And I'm spiraling. And, like, just the amount of shame that you get put through. And... So one of the things we were told in, like, my induction into WINS, it was like, you know, the reason we have national debt is Mm. because of benefit fraud. That is not true. That's false. Demonstrably false. And I sort of said, like, well, surely, you know, unemployment benefit is a drop in the bucket when it comes to things like trade and corporations and pensions for example like pension fraud is a thing ask winston peters and like almost got kicked out for that like they were like well if you ask that question you clearly don't need the benefit it's like oh boy (laughs) sorry for being educated i guess i just fuck like it's not good in australia either like this absolutely isn't a comparative with any other country it's just simply saying like it's real bad new zealand New Zealand can and should do better. And, like, the fact that we currently have, like, a Labour government that, like, put forward a strong message of caring about people and, like, Jacinta has this beautiful, like, empathic way of, like, engaging with the community. Like, Where are the policies? Yeah, make it better then. I feel like, and I don't know if this is a good strategy for, like, dealing with all my feelings of sadness and disappointment and white hot rage but I feel like if we journal these feelings into an email or even a handwritten letter and we just send it to all of our local representatives 
And if we all do that, all just like bombard them with our feelings, could that make a difference? Because I feel yeah, like it could, but a- also go to protests, right? Oh yeah, heck yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, letter writing, very good. Make yeah. appointments with your representatives if you can, if you're comfortable doing that. Excellent. Go to a protest and sit in the way of cars, <laughs> because direct action. Yeah, like our world has reached this point, and absolutely, like I used to be the kind of person who's like, oh, there are like structures for a reason, and we should use them because there are ways of like politely disagreeing in the world. It's just like you know what? There's too much fucking yeah. poverty to be putting up with that shit anymore. Like the structures are broken. No. <laughs> Stage a sit-in at your wins office. Not that I'm encouraging, like, what is it? What's the crime that I'm not doing? I don't know. Encouraging social unrest? One of those. Not that I'm doing a crime. Okay? Okay, do crimes. <laughs> I just, I just like, I want to go home for Christmas with my family, and I don't want to be arrested during that, you know? So, like, not that I'm doing a crime. Yeah, but no, also, you're, like, not, you're not encouraging that. I am. Okay, cool. Thanks, Serena. Yeah. So everyone, Serena Chen. Uh- <laughs> uh, I approve of this message. <laughs> Stage a sit-in. Support and protect the most vulnerable people in your society because they are being royally fucked right now. And we have a government that might actually try and make that better rather than going like, well, if we make the economy better, then everyone will have jobs and that will uplift everyone. A rising tide lifts all boats. Great, you guys. The economy is doing so great. We could borrow so much more money and be fine and we don't. You know who's doing bad? Like, wins. (laughs) Wins is doing poorly because there is no way to provide feedback on their services or how they interact with people. Uh, that can be taken seriously in a similar way. Like I've had some of the most horrendous mental health experiences in my life in New Zealand. But Mm -hmm. when you try and express this, like through formalized processes, people are like, oh, well, you're mentally ill. So like, who knows if this is even real. So it's on us, right? Like it's on the people with jobs. It's on the people who are, comfortable and don't need winds protections because the people who do need wind support cannot afford to make a fuss over this no they can't not not even a little bit and so it's absolutely on us to say Mm. like hey the way you're treating these people is unacceptable there's a common myth everywhere but especially in new zealand that poverty is a choice (sighs) and it is a choice it's not their choice though it's (laughs) our choice yeah we are choosing poverty for other people every time we don't stand up for them every time we pass another piece of legislation that casts them aside like it's a choice absolutely it's just not their choice it's our choice every day ah yelling (laughs) yeah yeah it's when i moved to melbourne i was really shocked by the amount of homeless people here but it also means that every time i go back to new zealand i am intensely aware that the amount of homeless people and typically these are people with like mental illnesses who need the support and protection of the state Mm -hmm. like they're just increasing every time i come home yeah it's gone really bad here lately and it's it's horrendous like it's 
you can become blind to it when you live in it. Mm, absolutely. You get used to it and like, you know, boiling frog kind of shit. A slow change doesn't really shock people. Mm. But yeah, it has I've been aware of this probably since I went to uni because that was when I started seeing like a city on my own terms. Yeah. So in the last like 10 years, I guarantee you it's got worse. Or it's maybe not that Okay, this is a complicated thought, so bear with me. Homelessness isn't necessarily getting worse, but it's getting more obvious. But the fact that it's getting more obvious means it's getting mm-hmm. worse. Because the homeless people we see, like people who are obviously homeless on the streets begging, like those are a maybe 10% at most of the homeless population, right? But the fact that we're seeing that 10% increase like, is very stressful, right? It's the iceberg above the water that kind of analogy yeah. like most of it is hidden under the surface and so if you see a big iceberg then it's a really really fucking big iceberg yeah it's it's a lot <laughs> it is a lot but something else that i've also noticed um just throughout this episode and throughout this recording is that we've kind of we've kind of gone through the same kind of journey as what was suggested by that tumblr post which is that, like, we have a lot of feelings, not great feelings, and those feelings are about things in the world that are very real, and maybe some of those feelings about some other, like, you know, more foundational feeling stuff. Sure, but what we've done throughout this episode is that we've addressed those feelings first, And we've kind of opened up our treasure chest of all of the different strategies and the different tools that we have for dealing with and treating these feelings. And now we've moved on to action. And out of the entire episode, nothing has made me feel, I don't want to say better, but more empowered than the section when we were starting to talk about action and the tangible things that we could do. And I think that's a really good trajectory, is that, like, feelings are real, and so we have to deal with those first, and we have to do that in whatever way works first. And then we can say, what's causing these feelings? What are the big problems that are making us feel these anxieties and sadnesses? And now what can we do? And I just want to note that that's been a really cool trajectory to see play out in this very episode. Ah, oh, yeah, it um, it usually doesn't take me long to like become full-blown activist. I think that's what we need. <laughs> we need we need that more now more than ever I was about to stop myself because you know a lot of civil rights stuff in the past but now we've got civil rights stuff and impending climate doom <laughs> so truly we need activism now more than ever and organizing and having dinners with your friends where you talk about these things and you don't avoid them yeah and it's, it's easy to focus down on yourself 
And I think sometimes people absolutely need to do that Mm. to say, like, I've got enough shit going on in my life. Like, you know, I'm barely keeping my head above water with this job. Like, I have all this other stuff going on. Like, I can't, I don't have the time to care about, you know, poverty or workers' rights or climate change or anything, but that's how they get us. Mm. So really assess, like, whether you need to look after yourself, Mm. but be ready to say, like, this is more important than me and this is bigger than me. And, like, if I turn up to, you know, the Extinction Rally and I just, like, chill, but I'm a body there, like, that is – that is valuable yeah and that is doable right like i really like the the one two punch the approach where it's like okay i'm not doing so well mentally emotionally i'm going to deal with that first i'm going to address that first i'm going to reach into humanity's large toolbox of things to help me deal with that and then i can move on to the second punch which is action doing something well you can do them alongside each other so like i have this yeah. i have this conversation with my psych a bit because like because my cool and fun collection of mental illnesses and disabilities i worry a lot about whether i'm sort of doing enough whether i'm like mm-hmm. creating the world i want to live in you know being yeah. the change you want to see and all of that mm. because i'm like well i physically can't do marches a lot of the time right like mm-hmm. i get extreme anxiety from going to rallies Mm. and I sort of said this to my psych and she was like well that's really a question about living your values right and if you're talking about this if you're writing about it if you're talking to like people who might not have been exposed to these ideas before about it then you are living your values you're communicating it you're like Mm. disseminating ideas through people around you people who probably wouldn't be exposed to it except for through you and that was really valuable because like you know it can be really disheartening to be like, well, these things are so important, but I find it really difficult to attend them and to muck in and to get involved and be a body. But equally, like, you know, I work in this fancy office job where a lot of people haven't had to think about, like, capitalism and poverty. And, you know, there are so many people in my life who are posh fox. But if I can talk to them about, like, how to make the world better for them right like Mm. as well as for us or like not even necessarily to make the world better for them right like at some point you have a fucking moral obligation to be like you know what like i've lived this charmed life for Mm. most of my life now it's time to make the world a better place Mm. and if you don't recognize that moral obligation you're a fucker (laughs) i think this has been good i feel fired up yeah it's been a good episode I, feel, I have lots of yeah. I have lots of tabs open on my on my web browser where I've been like looking up tax brackets. So <laughs> that's usually a good sign. <laughs> yeah. I just did my taxes actually. Oh same. And I had the exact same thought. It's like, okay, first of all, I can be taxed more. That's fine. But more importantly, so many people earning way, 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 way more than I do. And they could be taxed even more. And there exist people who earn way, 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 way even more than those people. And they could be taxed even more. In fact, to the point where 
you could probably lower the taxes for the lower rung of the bracket. Anyway, that's for another episode. It's it's been good. It's been good. I feel I feel like I feel fired up. I feel like there's there's tangible things that are reachable and real that I could do, that you could do, that our listeners could do. Uh, in New Zealand, there is an organisation called Action Station, and they do a lot of really, really great progressive work um, in a lot of different areas, in climate justice, in, um, in wealth inequality, just great work all up, and you should definitely go check them out. Um, you can make monthly donations to them if you're that way inclined. Um, you can sign up to receive their newsletters and you can sign up to um, help them out if they're if they're doing something in your neighborhood you can sign petitions there's a whole heap of things that tangible real impactful things that you can do right now to uh feel a little bit better about all the shit so there's that um i know for our manawatu listeners um Brene Dingwall is currently the uh, Greens candidate for Palmerston North City Council, and she is extremely progressive and aligned with like all of the stuff we've just yelled about. And in fact, I think I've read a lot of stuff where she's yelled about it on the internet as well. Fantastic. Um, if you're in Australia, uh, probably my highest recommendation would be Democracy in Colour. They focus on increasing the diversity, like from a race perspective, in mm. a lot of leading spaces in Australia. Uh, yeah, that would be my most immediate recommendation. What was the um, candidate's name in Palmerston? Renee, uh, Renee Dingwall. R- Renee Dingwall. Okay, cool. Because yeah. we've got local elections coming up. So there's Louise Hutt, I want to say. Let me just quickly check. One These recommendations have been not sponsored by any particular party or charity. Uh, we just like them. We don't get paid at all. Just, just so it's very clear. Like, there's, there's no money, no nothing. This is just, yeah, not sponsored. Hashtag. Um, yeah, Louise Hutt is running for mayor in Hamilton West, and she is a progressive candidate. She cares oh, about the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. So if you are in Hamilton City, then check her out, winky face. Um, the Climate Action Network Australia is generally pretty good. If you want to support mental health resources for queer people in Australia, Switchboard is fantastic. Um, they have a like queer-specific hotline you can call. And if you want to help the kids be the best they can be and sort of like help break generally like cycles of poverty and cycles of violence, um, the Reach Foundation is one of my favorites. And of course, Asylum Seekers Resource Center, because the tropical gulags are still out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're in Porirua, if you're in P-Town, um, there is... so. Someone who has been recommended to me for Poriroa um, has a Twitter handle of Jandal Life, and I can't find their real name. Um, and of course, uh, as we mentioned, I think in the last episode, maybe the one before that, join your union. Okay. If you're in Australia and you don't know which union you're eligible for, contact the uh, ACTU, ATCU, uh, Australian 
Centre for Trade Unions. Um, I didn't know if I was eligible for a union because of the nature of my work and how weird my company is. And I reached out to them and they were like, absolutely, you can. This is the one. Go for gold. Uh, in New Zealand, there is ETU, which from what I understand is like a general union for working people um, in general. And there is, uh, there is Aotearoa Tech Union for workers in the tech industry. There is a legal union for, for workers in the legal industry. Those are the ones that I know off the top of my head. Uh, also, the candidate for Poriroa is called Anna Coffey. Oh, I've heard of her. Yes. Oh, good. Yeah, so if you're in Poriroa, if you're in P-Town, Anna Coffey for, for Mayor. I think that's like what I know off the top of my head. There is there is so much out there. There is so much out there. The other mm-hmm. thing as well is it is literally illegal for your boss to discriminate on you on the basis of your trade union membership. Um, and so if you want to join a union but you're worried how your workplace will react, genuinely the best people to support you with that are your union. And if like any of your bosses say anything shitty to you, try and get it in writing so that you can like protect yourself basically uh hopefully it won't come to that but like yeah just do your best i find i find that like most people are are generally pretty supportive of these things and will be more supportive than you think they are like i feel like we all have this kind of anxiety buried deep that this will be looked upon badly by our our colleagues and our bosses but like your colleagues and your bosses are people too yeah they have values and a lot of the times those values are not so dissimilar to yours. So Yeah. I know like if you've got a clo- if you're in a small business or you've got a close relationship with your boss, it can be kind of difficult. Mm. But like genuinely paying your union dues, think about it even if you don't want to engage with your union particularly, like paying the rates to join your union, like is essentially giving to a charity that advocates for better working conditions. Like yeah. unions got us the five-day working week. Unions got us public holidays, right? Like, <laughs> And so, like, I think of it like if I had the opportunity to pay money to, like, a suffragist group who got women the vote, mm-hmm. like, I absolutely would. And so yes. giving my money to my union is the equivalent of that. It's just being like, you know what? I love weekends. Have my money. <laughs> And it's it's really important to note that like a lot of the the earlier union campaigning around the like eight hour workday was eight hours for work, eight hours for rest, and eight hours to do whatever we please. And increasingly in our late capitalist society, those eight hours to do whatever we please have become eight hours for side hustles and eight hours for more work. And as our as our working relationships change, like we need unions more, not less, to to negotiate for us, for the people who are working against this uh, this changing tide of how work is. Yeah, and if you're part of the gig economy, reach out to ETU or the AT, ACTU, whichever way that acronym works. Reach out to them and be like, I drive for Uber what union is mine what are my rights Mm. and they'll support you through that generally like we started talking about feelings and how to stop being sad and then we went through like the process 
where yeah we went through a metamorphosis it was beautiful yeah we dissolved into goo and became beautiful butterflies Hmm. you know that caterpillars like entirely dissolve in cocoons yeah just like entirely it's so gross and i love it um do you think they're like the same person afterwards if it's Yes. Or are they? Do they die, or do they be and are reborn as a new? So we actually we talk about it a lot in genetics because like, sorry, total off topic, fact, but I want to yeah, know. No, no, it's fine. The fact that the cells know what to turn into, like no one fucking knows how that works. Yeah, that's incredible. I think that'd be the same person. I think like it's not like teleporting, right? Where you get formed out of entirely new atoms. Like all your molecules are still there; they just get like rearranged. Right. It's like you're still the same person when you like grow scar tissue, right? Right. And scar tissue is like very localized, dissolving into goo and turning into new tissue. I guess then the question would be like whether cap- caterpillars have consciousness. But anyway, that's a story for another time. <laughs> that is not. Please a, continue that is with your beautiful rap. Question we can answer on this podcast. <laughs> we'll get in an expert and ask them if caterpillars can think. Um, yeah. Beast, know the concept of zero. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, we've we've gone through this process of like having our feelings and talking about feelings and the climate emergency we're currently experiencing to really talking about like practical impacts you can make in your world. We've absolutely focused on Australia and New Zealand, but that's because that's where we both are. If you're mm-hmm. elsewhere, I strongly encourage you to look up about your unions to understand what kind of like climate charities you can get involved with or donate to or extinction rebellions you can attend because that is how we make the world a better place. Like it is too late to not do collective action. Get, have your own back. Have each other's backs. Be the change you want to see in the world. That's been a lot. And That's been an episode. Wow. Yeah. I've had a lot of fun. I mean, I loved it, but I'm so tired right now. And Same. I have been Sophia France this entire time. And I'm Serena Chen still, I think. Yeah, well, you haven't dissolved into a pile of goo and become a butterfly yet, so I think we're good. Not yet. Um, (laughs) As always, you can find us online. We're at thingsofinterest.co. We're on Facebook as Things of Interest, Twitter at Casting Interest, and you can email us at castinginterest at gmail.com. Uh, we love to hear from you, so feel free to email us or leave us a review. Chuck us some stars on Apple Podcasts. Everything yeah. now. Everything, actually. So, yeah, I saw that we got on iHeartRadio. Yeah. yeah, so we're on Apple Podcasts. We are on uh, Spotify. We are on Stitcher. We are on TuneIn. We are on iHeartRadio. I think that's all the things that we're on. <laughs> we're on a lot of things now, so, you know, choice. Leave us some stars, please. Yeah. Tell us what you think. Tell us tell us your thoughts. Tell us your anxieties. Tell us your feelings. Tell us what you want to hear from us. We love hearing from you. Yeah. Um, and as always, stay interesting. Bye. Bye.